Hello and welcome to episode number 274 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I am Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and this week we are saying thank you to everyone lots and lots of times. Happy day after Thanksgiving if you celebrate. This week we are saying thank you to the authors who wrote books that made our lives a little better. This episode was inspired in part by Tom Petty. After Tom Petty died, I saw and heard so many people online and off talking about how much his music had meant to them and how some of his songs were the soundtrack to very formative experiences in their lives. And reading all of the tributes and other tributes to people this year made me think about the people who have created the art that I value and treasure and how I might want to thank them while they still have the opportunity to hear it. We live in a time where we are connected to so much art, so much music, so much writing, and much of it makes a minute or a day or maybe an hour of our lives better or, you know, at very least survivable. And so I wanted to give a few of our recent guests, some of my friends and the ladies here at Smart Bitches, an opportunity to say thank you to the creators of the books that have made our lives a little better this year. Now, generally, I try really hard to keep the creator and the work very separate, especially as a reviewer, but there have been a number of books that have meant the world to each of us. So right now, this week, we're going to make time for saying thanks. If you're traveling, this is a great episode because we have an assortment of guests and a lot of small interviews. We have the ladies of Smart Bitches, the ladies from The Ripped Bodice, New York Times bestselling authors, NPR editors, romance readers, children, podcasting librarians, basically as many people as I could reach with a microphone. I put them in this episode. I definitely want to thank everyone for being available because I've been recording and assembling this episode all during this week while everyone else is getting ready for the holidays and myself too. So thank you so much to everyone who participated. Sometimes the phone rings, sometimes I'm in a restaurant, sometimes we have a somewhat crunchy international connection, sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's silly, but there are so many writers that we want to thank for the books that made our lives better. That's what we're going to do today. Now, content warning at about 49 minutes, 15 seconds, Amanda is talking about the plot of Asking For It by Lila Pace, which is a book we've discussed before, but she does say content warning, so that's your cue. You skip ahead 30 seconds, you'll be good. Now, of course, if you would like to thank a, an author for a book that has rocked your world, you know that I want to hear about it, right? Of course I do. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. Or if that's a little too much to remember, Sarah with an H at smartbitchestrashybooks.com also works just as well. You can record a voice memo. You can email it to me. You can leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you about what books you would like to say thank you for this year. Doesn't have to be a book from this year. Some of these books are from the 50s. This podcast episode is being sponsored by Dreamlands by Felicitas Ivy, the first book of a series found at DSP Publications. It's a series filled with danger, monsters, and love with our heroes struggling towards their happily ever after. True love will win out after it, you know, goes through the ringer once or twice. The Trust and its battle-hardened recruits are fighting a horrific war between the humans of this world and the demons of the Dreamlands. In this shadowy battle, Kino Inuzaka is merely a pawn, first an innocent bystander, imprisoned and abused by the trust, and then a captive of a demon Oni when taken to the dreamlands. But Oni Samujiro Aboshi treats the human with unexpected care and respect, and the demon only just earns Kino's trust when a team from the trust arrives to exploit the dreamlands magic. And as the war spreads around both worlds, Kino is torn between them. 
If he survives, he faces a decision. Go home, carve out a new life under the thumb and the watchful eye of the trust, or stay in the dreamlands and find freedom in love. You can find out more about Felicitas Ivy's dreamlands at DSP Publications. We also have a transcript sponsor, and just like last week, we have a special sneak preview of the audiobook at the end of this episode. I think this is a really cool way to include some audiobook samples in the podcast. I hope you'll let me know what you think. Today's podcast transcript is sponsored by The Longest Fall, book one in Anna Argent's Whisper Lake series, available on Audible, iTunes, and at AnnaArgent.com. If you love contemporary small-town romances by Laurie Foster and Susan Mallory, you'll get caught up in the Whisper Lake series by Anna Argent. Whisper Lake is a tourist town nestled in the Ozark Mountains where people from all over the world gather each summer. The rest of the year, it's a quiet place home to under 4,000 residents, many of their last names are Grace. Daisy Grace fell in love with Mark, her best friend's brother, before she started wearing a bra, but Mark, he barely noticed that she was alive. He set his sights on Janie, older and far more glamorous than Daisy. He was taken forever. After Janie's tragic death, Daisy is forced to face the only man who has ever made her heart skip beats and her stomach turn into knots. For almost two years, Mark has lived a solitary life punishing himself for what happened to his fiancée. When Daisy arrives to convince him to attend his little sister's wedding, she shatters Mark's life of lonely grieving. He has no right to feel the things that Daisy makes him feel, but no matter how hard he tries, he can't convince Daisy Grace to leave him alone. Daisy refuses to give up. If she can't lift Mark out of the dark recesses, the man she's been falling in love with forever will be too far gone to save. Are you tired of bad boys? Maybe ready for a good man instead? Welcome to Whisper Lake, where you won't find skyscrapers or subways or five-star restaurants, but you will find honorable, hardworking men, kind, honest women, and families who stick together no matter how messy or inconvenient life gets. Stay tuned for a special sneak peek of the audio version of The Longest Fall at the end of this podcast and find the complete series at AnnaArgent.com. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and where you can find it. And of course, I need to say a very quick but genuine thank you to everyone who has supported the podcast at Patreon, patreon.com slash smartbitches. Your support helps me transcribe older episodes and helps me develop new ideas and guest suggestions for the 2018 episodes as well. I have also seen so many more reviews of the show on different podcast outlets such as Apple's podcast app, iTunes, Podbay, Stitcher. Seeing your reviews and how much you enjoy the show means the world. So thank you so much for making my entire week brighter each time I do an episode. Thank you for telling your friends, for subscribing and reviewing, but most of all, thank you for being part of the podcast each week. I am so excited to meet and hear from more of you in the coming year. We have over a dozen mini interviews in this episode, and I am so excited to get started. So let's do that right now on with the podcast where we all say thank you. Hello again, Moose. How are you? Good. Okay. So I've asked you back on the podcast for two reasons. One. Because um, I'm cool. That's actually the third reason because you're very cool. Yeah. The first reason is you helped a lot of people form a reading habit and start reading before bed. And a lot of people sent me messages on Twitter and sent me messages by email to say thank you to you. And I know I showed all those messages to you and you were very proud, weren't you? Most. 
most Probably of them. Probably not all. No, there, there might have been some that you missed, but you were pretty pleased, right? Yeah. Do you have anything you want to say to the people who read before bed just like you? Thank you so much for, like, taking what um, I thought would be a good idea and not just ignoring it because I'm a kid and just listening to it and making it and trying it and seeing if you, like, enjoy it and think that, that would work for you. That's very cool. Nice job, buddy. All right. So my next question is, this episode is all about saying thank you to authors whose books really made a big difference in your life or in the year or in the past years. So is there an author that you would like to say thank you to for writing a book that you really, really loved? I don't know the name. Well, tell me the name of the book. Preaching Department. Oh, The Creature Department? I can look that up. Tell me what you like about The Creature Department. That's the book you're reading right now, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me what you like about the book Creature Department. I like that it's about smart like creatures that are trying to create something cool and and they and they have like really wacky and cool inventions. So who's the book buybacks? Robert Paul Weston. So we are saying thank you to Robert Paul Weston for writing The Creature Department. Yep. Yep. Okay, so you started this book a couple days ago, but you are liking it so much that you want to give a personal thank you to Robert Paul Weston. Also, thank you to Machiko for inspiring uh, inspiring this Robert book. Paul Weston to write this book because it says it's for um, Machiko. Yep. So, so you really like this book because it's about really smart and cool creatures that um, are trying to. Uh, save their company because if they lose their company they'll all be exposed and And they'll be in danger yeah and you're really enjoying this book so much you want to say thank you that's cool dude i also like that how on the title each letter is sort of like a little little monster monster. that is could cool like the r is like a um so the p part of the r like the yeah the chip like a p is like a monster with one leg and then the mouth Yep. And then the mouth is full of, like, really cool teeth. Yep. So the circle inside the R yeah. is, like, filled with teeth. And that's then really the other cool. leg is, like, a human hairy leg. It's like a human hairy leg. What about the person who wrote Harry Potter? J.K. Rowling? Yeah. I also thank you to you because those books are awesome and magical and I love magic. And Was that the first chapter book you read, Harry Potter, The Sorcerer's Stone? I do not think so. But no, probably not. It was probably one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, it's time for you to go to bed and do some reading. And now we hear from Elise. So tell me about this book that you want to be, you want to thank the author for having written and be as schmoopy as you like. Okay. Because this is totally schmoopy. Like on a scale Um, of one to 12, we're talking like level 15 schmoopy. It's so... Uh, my husband is dyslexic, and he was not a reader through most of his childhood. And the book that made him a reader was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which a teacher gave him. And if he had not read that book and not become a reader, we would not have met in the bookstore where we met and would not have started dating, would not be married. Oh, that's so sweet. And I don't remember the teacher's name, but I'm also very grateful to her because... Inadvertently, she introduced me to my husband. That's adorable. 
Well, Told you it was schmoopy. That's super schmoopy. I'm so pleased. After all these technical difficulties, I'm really glad to have persevered because all my, all my insights are melting. That's adorable. Yeah, my husband is pacing the house with the – he's on the phone with our internet service provider, and things things are dire here. Very <laughs> dire. Things, things at Shaley's are quite, quite bad. Yes. So is there a book that you also want to uh, mention that changed your life? personally. You do not have to have one, but I don't want to leave you out. I wouldn't say it's life-changing, but I'm very grateful or thankful this year for all of the authors who got me through my mom's surgeries um, and kept me company in the ICU waiting room and gave me sanity. Um, I read a lot of Mary Baylog in the waiting room, and she's a very, very good, immersive kind of healing author, so that worked out really well for me. I have read so many of her reissued Regencies on airplanes in the past year or two. I love them so much. Yes. So thank you. So after listening to all Alicia Rye's like dating things, and she's so, so adorable and such a wonderful author that I have petitioned the universe to throw like one of the Chris's in her way, whichever one is single, but not Pratt because he's a jerk. You're so, so like, kind, and I bet she appreciates that. Like, seriously, she deserves a Chris. At she does. At least a, a level one Chris. Right, right. Like she, like an Evans or a Pine. It just needs to happen. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. No question. Hello. How are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. And thank you for agreeing to come back and be on the podcast. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, it's hard work. So this episode is all about saying thank you to an author or authors who have written books that really made your life better or changed your life in some way. And we talked a little bit about this when we were walking the dogs today. Yes. But you have a couple of authors. I, I'm, I have three. I, I am not going to stop you. All Go right. ahead. So Spousal privilege. The first one I want to thank and i guess this is the lifetime achievement award is judy bloom super fudge was the first chapter book i ever read and although adult me is horrified that i read the second book in a series before i read the first book i probably <laughs> didn't know there was a first book at the time so and i read then went and read all of those books so i would say that i would not be a reader if i hadn't picked up judy bloom in first second grade maybe that is cool uh, the second one, and this is the more current one you know, in terms of books that I've read or finished this year, uh, and that's Robin Hobb. Uh, the last Fitz book came out this year, Assassin's Fate. Uh, many of them have similar names, but I'm pretty sure that's the last one, the one that came out this year. If you remembered correctly, I'll be really impressed because I'd be like, it's an assassin book. There's an assassin in it. <laughs> or fool. So, right, because there's a sa- there's also fool's fate. Oh, and God. fool's quest and assassin's quest. But I'm pretty sure. You're trying to kill me here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure assassin's fate was the last one. And they are phenomenal. The, the characters and the world, but really the characters in those books are just amazing. And the end of 15, 16 or 15 books across five series in this world was heartbreaking and perfect and exactly the way it should have ended and was amazing. So thank you, Robin Hobb. 
That was the book that inspired me to interview you in the first place because we would walk the dogs and you would tell me about these books like several days in a row. You were so excited about them and also really bummed that it was coming to an end. Yeah. Although, so that's, you know, double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, it's coming to an end, so I don't have to wait for more books. But on the other hand, it's coming to an end, so I don't have to wait for more books. Yes, this is, we, we know this problem. Speaking of waiting for more books. Oh, no. Sorry, Pat. The, 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 the third author I want to thank is Patrick Rothfuss, because we talk a lot about, you know, what kind of books do we like to read, you know, what genre, whatever. And really, I will read anything as long as there is a story that makes me want to spend time in it. And Patrick Rothfuss' books are, they're stories about storytelling but they're also amazing stories in themselves. And of all of the books that I go back to again and again just to spend time in them, those are the ones that I think I've been going back to the most. Have you been reading them more this year? You know, this year I haven't read any of them start to finish, but I've gone back to sections because something sparked in my mind about a particular chapter that I then had to go and find and read. So you, what, hold, hold, hold on. So you will read chapters out of order, but not books out of order. Well, or if I've already finished them, I'll, I'll go back okay. out of order for either chapters or books. If there's something particularly that I want to go, go and reread. I mean, I once, do that. once I read the whole George R. R. Martin series out of order, because there was a particular thing that I wanted to go back to in the middle of one of the books. And then I just ended up reading that whole book, and then I read all of the rest, and then I just went back and reread all of the rest of them in some random order. I feel like I need to like, call paramedics right now. Who are you? What did you do with Adam? No, if, you, <laughs> if you've never read them before, you shouldn't read them out of order, because then you're getting the story the wrong way. Right. But once you've read them, right. it's okay to go back to things. Okay. That works. I mean, we watch you know, the Marvel movies out of order all the time. Well, you don't watch them anymore, but me and the kids do. Yes, this is true. Anyway, that's not relevant to this podcast. I do have a question about the Judy Bloom books. Yes. So Judy Bloom books were my first introduction to the idea that puberty was different for dudes. Like, I had uh -huh. no idea, but I hadn't really thought that much about dudes. So did you read um, Are You There, Are God you there God, It's Me, Margaret? Yes, and quite frankly, I read it when I was way too young. I mean, I said I picked up Superfudge probably in first or second grade. These were all... These books were all in our school library, and I think I just read them all because they were all on the shelf next to each other. And right. I I don't I can't say exactly how old I was when I read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, but I definitely didn't understand half of it. It's okay. I didn't either. I was very confused why Maxi Pet didn't have a belt. <laughs> I was like, when I finally had my first period, I was like, wait, there's supposed to be a belt. I read about a belt. Where's the belt? I was being de denied accessories. I was very upset. I understand. So, yeah, I, I read those. I did read all of them, but I read them when I was way too young, most likely. Yeah, I didn't quite get. Um, then again, maybe, then again I maybe I won't. I did not understand what was happening there. I don't, I'm not sure that I got it the first time I read it because I was too young. And then looking back later, I was like, oh, that's what that one's about. <laughs> cool, dude. The more you know.
So, friend, happy brunch. Happy brunch. Cheers. Clink. All right, so, Petra Mayer, NPR Books. Yeah. Thank you for being part of my Thanksgiving podcast. My pleasure. So I'm doing an episode that is all about saying thank you to an author for writing books that rocked your world and changed your life, or maybe just made your year better, because I don't know if you've noticed this year's been a shithole. I don't know how much I can comment publicly while being an editorial employee of NPR, but books are good. Yes, books are very good. I'm very <laughs> glad for books. Yes. So is there an author that you would like to say thank you to? And you can say thank you to as many as you want because it's the internet and we haven't run out of room. Ah, the magical I don't, internet. What's it called when you have a start time and an end time for a radio segment? Like in and the, out, the really, and or out, a yeah. post. We call it a post. Post, thank you. I do not have any posts. <laughs> None whatsoever. I can just keep going and going. Someone right now is going to be dyeing yarn, and they're going to be like, just keep going. It's fine. I got yarn. Meanwhile, my like former live broadcast director voice is going, we have to be out at 58, 57, 30. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you learn Nail to measure time that way. Nail the post. Nail uh, the post. Yeah. So tell me, who, um, are you, who and what are you thankful for well, book-wise? Uh, so I have said this before a lot, but I am eternally grateful to George Orwell in 1984. You mentioned this when I texted yeah. you to ask to do this, and I'm yeah. so fascinated. I have not heard this story. Tell I me. I have told it elsewhere, so you know, if you're out there dying yarn, you can like mute it if you've heard this part. But uh, when I was nine years old. It was the summer of 1984, and my dad, who is deeply weird and has always had and my dad, who is deeply weird and has always had an outsized idea of his daughter's intellectual capacities, handed me 1984. Perfect for a nine-year-old. Here, I think you're ready to read this. Right. Oh, yeah. My dad has a PhD in political philosophy. He's, you know, he's my dad. I love him dearly. <laughs> so I read it, and I had no idea of the, what was going on with the political underpinnings. I read it every year for years after that, and it wasn't until I was maybe 15 or 16 that the central, the Goldstein's book sections actually made sense. But I did understand dystopia, and I did, un- it was my first exposure to world building. So I always say that that was the book that made me a nerd. So thank you, George Orwell. That's adorable. That's really adorable. <laughs> so, but if you're not in the mood for more dystopia this year, I mean, we have plenty. <laughs> we have like a buffet of dystopia. I want to say thank you to uh, Judith Merkel Riley, who is the author of one uh, uh, of some of my favorite comfort reads of all time. She's one of these authors that I just go back to every couple years and read through her books. Uh, sadly, she died far too young, but she wrote six or seven books. She writes historical fiction. With a little romance tinge, with wonderful female characters, uh, I first discovered her through a book called *The Serpent Garden*. *The Serpent Garden*, which is about a miniature painter in the court of Cardinal Wolsey. Uh, Hello. Yes, in the era of Henry VIII, and Hello. she goes to France in his entourage and gets involved in French court intrigue and paints magical pictures, uh, and it's and falls in love, of course, with a handsome and lanky secretary who's much cooler than her scummy ex-husband or scummy late husband was. Um, so I love Judith Merkel Riley. I am very grateful to her for creating these worlds that I return to over and over again whenever I need a break. <laughs> That's so lovely. So, there you go. That's what I'm grateful for. <laughs> Thank you. And now we hear from Carrie. Some of my big ones that I I end up talking about pretty much every single time I talk about books, obviously, are, of course, Jane Eyre, which um, is one of those books that feels really personal to me, even though, obviously, Charlotte Bronte did not write it with me specifically in mind. That would have been really impressive. But what 
I really love about that is that book is that it has so much emphasis on maintaining a sense of self when the world does not support you maintaining a sense of self yes. and self-respect and self-regard. Um, so obviously I would really like to thank Charlotte Bronte for that. And um, another book is Bet Me by Jennifer Cruzy. Oh, that's a lovely choice. Oh my gosh. It is the first romance novel, not the first romance novel I ever read, but the first one that I was absolutely crazy about. And I, and when I try to explain to people that Bet Me like really kind of changed my life, they never believed me, but it's so body positive. And I have some really severe issues with body image and, um, I found it to be really helpful. And I think an interesting thing about Bethany is that unlike Jane Eyre, where I relate really, really closely to the protagonist, I'm nothing at all like men, the heroine of Bethany. And I'm not in any way attracted to the hero, Cal. Um, he's not somebody that I would want to date, but I really love their relationship. It's, um, a relationship with a lot of give and take and you just really feel like they are equals in that relationship mm -hmm. and I love the way that Cal accepts um, men and the way that men accepts Cal and the way that they see each other's strengths um, and again the the for the body positivity specifically I would like to thank Jennifer Cruzy and especially when I shop I remember certain lines from the book. Shopping is really painful for me, so um, for clothes. So um, I remember Cal telling men, um, "You dress like you hate your body." And so when I pick up clothes and put them on, I say, "Am I dressing like I hate my body or not?" Ooh, that's really powerful. It's really powerful. Um, uh, I think I needed to be just a little bit more powerful, but any, <laughs> any progress helps. The other line that I think about all the time is her mother, men's mother, wants her to fit into a, a bridesmaid's dress. Yes. And men's mother is always saying, you're too big for the dress. You have to lose weight so that you won't be too big for the dress. And at one point, Cal says to men's mother, for the record, Men is not too big for the dress. The dress is too small for men. Men is perfect. Get a bigger dress. And I found that to be really powerful, too. Um, That's so that, the kind of scene where your whole insides just go, oh. Oh, yeah. No. They, <laughs> and it was almost like a revelation to me that that could be true, that maybe – you know, it's the clothes that are the problem. You just need clothes that are better for you, not you don't have to change mm -hmm. the sake of clothes that somebody else has picked out. So it's very powerful um, for me. And also just really enjoyable to read. So it's very funny. And every time I'm really stressed, I'll just walk by my bookshelf and pick it up and read a page and put it back. Yep. Like I must have read that book dozens of times by now but I'll still go by and just kind of check it for a minute and then that kind of calms me down and it makes me laugh and so it's not just like it's it's life-changing because it's you know so deep it's also just incredibly entertaining and it embraces a lot of different kinds of happy ever afters yeah which also makes me really happy um 
you know, there's a, there's a character, Bonnie, who I am more similar to. And her version of Happy Ever After is honored, and so is Min's, and so is her friends. And everybody has a different idea of a future that they want, including a future without a long-term stable romance in it. And they're all given equal value. I just think that's so powerful, and I would like to see more of that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so thank you, Jennifer Cruzy. <laughs> I think a lot of people would like to say thank you to Jennifer Cruzy. And I also have been collecting copies of Fast Women because I'm now of an age where there's been a little bit of an epidemic of divorces. And all my um, friends who have gone through divorces or separations, they just love Fast Women. Like that's that's their jam. And (laughs) they're like, (laughs) because it's a hopeful book, you know, and it's it involves a romance that involves an older woman, not, you know, a 20 year old and. Um, she's got an adult kid and she's got stuff to work out. And it's another book that really celebrates friendships between women. You know, um, Jennifer Cruzy does that so well. All her books are kind of these ensemble pieces and of women. Yes. Women. Yeah. So fantastic. And, and also with men, like in fact, me, you know, Cal has his guy friends and Mm -hmm. men has her girlfriends and then they all kind of merge, but not necessarily romantically. So they become like kind of one fuse, bigger, group that supports each other and it's just it's just awesome um so is yes so thank you um charlotte bronte and thank you jennifer cruzy i'll also say really quick that i in general feel really fortunate that from when i was very little to being an adult i have been blessed with a lot of female authors who have created a huge variety of you know, quote unquote, strong female characters who are strong in a wide variety of ways and that celebrate communities of women. Um, and, and they've encompassed all these different time periods and all these different styles of writing and styles of genre. But I really like to think all of them um, because there's been so many foundational women in my life that I could look up to as a result of having access to that. Alyssa Cole, would you like to go first or would you prefer I not put you on the spot? Okay, so the book I'm thankful for is, um, it's a YA book from like 1956, I guess. It's called 15 by Beverly Cleary. I love that book so much. (laughs) And I actually said to my husband today, like, you know what would be amazing is if I could get Beverly Cleary on the phone just so I could thank her for the luckiest girl and 15. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe that you are you are of the same mind. Please, please tell me all the things. Well, just because um, it's one of the first romances that I read. Uh, I got it from the library when I was really, I don't even know how old. It was middle school or junior high. And it was, you know, the story is very simple. There's a girl who feels awkward and who really wants a boyfriend. She feels like all the other girls are, you know, getting guys and being cool. But um, and then she meets Stan. The the <laughs> sorry for I'm totally blanking on the heroine's name, but um, you know, she meets the hero of the story who has just moved to her small, to her suburb. And uh, he drives the doggy diner 
truck delivering horse meat to dogs. <laughs> um, and like, it's just, it, for me, I was like, you know, a little girl in Jersey City, this whole life, <laughs> suburban life, um, 1950s white suburban life was something very, that I really had seemingly would have no connection with, but it was just kind of like a kind of universal story of like that age where you really, uh, the the accuracy of the way it described having a crush on a boy and not knowing if he would like you and the nervousness and waiting for a boy to call and all of those kinds of things. Uh, like, you know, there are some things now that I'm, I'm pretty sure don't date, don't work very well. Like their trip to Chinatown is probably really cringeworthy. I mean, I remember cringing when I read it at a young age, <laughs> but you know, it, for me, it was just one of those books where, um, because I was reading all kinds of books, but I wasn't reading specifically romance. And I would find books here and there or find books from my parents' bookcase. But at that point, they were more into, like, you know, I was reading like Stephen King and Anne Rice and stuff like that and like uh, more sci-fi books. So I was like, oh, this is like all of those elements that I like from other books. And like I had a, a couple of other romances I had read at that point. But it was one of those things that really made me say, oh, like, I really love this. I read it over and over again and like um, over the years. And when I started, you know, writing my own little romance short stories or getting making my stories more focused on romance, it was, it was kind of like thinking about these kind of templates using this book as a kind of template. So it's just a sweet romance. It's very like 1950s at the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> like at the end of the book he like gives her his bracelet and it's like you're my girl and that's like you know and they have their first kiss at the end of the book and it's not like any kind of sexy kiss or anything it's like a very uh i guess what would be called clean romance now it's very chaste uh, <laughs> but um yeah i was just thinking about like what books would and it's just one of the things that really put me on the track toward uh, writing romance and that I just really enjoyed as a young reader. So. I love Beverly Cleary. If I could if I could interview her just to say thank you for all of the books that she's written that I have adored, that one and The Luckiest Girl. I must have read 15 and The Luckiest Girl a hundred times easily. <laughs> love those. Okay. Alicia, you ready to go? I am ready. Tell me. Who I am thankful for. Um, and, you know, I've always been thankful for this author, but I think this year especially um, is Shelley Laurenston uh, slash G.A. Aiken. Yes. <laughs> Single person, but yes. new author. Um, and I just, there is nothing bad I can say. About, like, these books are all so wonderful and and. They're wonderful for so many reasons. I mean, the storytelling and world building is superb. Um, Shelley Laurenston writes mostly shifters um, or paranormally stuff. And um, G.A. Aiken writes uh, like fantasy dragon romance. And I'm not a huge fantasy romance person, but I love a dragon. Love, love, love them. Um, and this year, actually, uh, The Crows were sort of my go-to Shelley Laurenston books. Um, they are just, 
so amazing in so many ways. Um, part of it is, so the first one's the unleashing and it's great. You know, it sets up this really cool world of these, this like band of, you know, women warriors and they're um, women who are sort of unfairly killed um, and they come back to life and it's all yep. like Norse mythology. Um, and they come back to life basically um, to fight um, like, you know, injustice and stuff like that for the gods, for the Norse gods. Um, Norse? Yeah, right. Yeah, they're Norse. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the first one is great. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like the unleashing is awesome. And then I got to the second one and it was undoing. And oh my gosh, I love this book so much. Me too. I know it's so good. And so I love it. And this is one of the reasons I love Shelly slash GA is because all of her heroines, they're badass and like really strong but i think sometimes like people take that to mean like well they have a sword right like you know you're like a strong female character you have your sword and you're ready to fight and some of hers do have swords and they're ready to fight and some are like bookish and some are like you know introverts and and she like really examines you know womanly strength in in so many great ways um and so the second book in the crow series is the undoing and uh, um, I, I pitch it to my friends like well at one point the heroine like jumps out of a moving car to avoid small talk and everyone I know is like yes that's me like that's perfect um, and that is how I sell this book because it's like yeah that is like introversion basically like I would I when she did that in the book I was like yep <laughs> like, I like this I do that. has my heart forever um, and and it's funny and like also like has a lot of emotional strength like I mean, the whole, the whole series, the whole, I mean, everything she writes, I don't think I've ever read a book where I did not thoroughly enjoy it. Um, and same with G.A. Aiken, uh, for that matter. But yeah, it is really like, you know, a great examination of, of women and their friendships and their strength and different kinds of strength. Yeah. Um, and her heroes too. Like, I think she examines like, you know, she has alphas who are alpha without being toxic and then she has like utter smush balls who are <laughs> utter like, smush ball heroes yes i'm a fan yeah. of the utter smush ball heroes like, like um she's got a bear in one of her um uh in oh i think it's oh gosh which one was it i think it's um is this the bear that's the, the uh, hockey player uh he, he's a russian bear the main squeeze yes i found it it's lock um and he's just like a sweet little carpenter bear <laughs> like, he, who doesn't want a sweet little carpenter bear loves honey and likes like playing with his toes like he's just love so honey cute. and playing with his toes <laughs> so cute. and like even in <laughs> even in the undoing too like the hero is just like he's like an owl <laughs> like basically uh-huh. like he's got owl characteristics so he just he loves his head 260 degrees and does it to freak people out that's so funny <laughs> i mean and that's the thing like i i was never a huge like shifter fan really but nope. these books and, and and that's what i love about her is like this author makes me love things i never thought i would love and i think that's like the mark of a really great author she can sort of like transcend whatever your expectations are and really just like pull you in and even if you don't normally read paranormal, you don't normally read fantasy, like she's created these worlds where you feel like, yeah, this is like the world. This is like contemporary basically, but even if it's not. 
very thankful for her. I am totally thankful for her too. In fact, I was going to go last as I'm building all of these recordings and um, she's on my list of people to say I'm so thankful for. The, the thing that I love about the crows, and I have said this everywhere on every possible website, at any time anyone asks me for like an end of the year, I'm like, crows, mm-hmm. three crows, all the crows. Uh, the idea that she is celebrating how angry women are. It was exactly what I needed. <laughs> I was- yeah. And celebrating like how angry they are, but also how productive that anger can be. Yes, that anger can be very productive, especially when you have wings, claws, superhuman strength. Yeah, and and like and scary dogs, people rescue dogs and all of us. Yes. So the other thing yeah. that's super horrible about the fact that I can hear you Aww. and I can hear Alyssa, but you guys can't hear each other, is because I'm also here to totally put you on the spot because I am deeply, deeply grateful for both of your books this year. And I could totally say that as a jerkwad because, you know, I'm also your friend and I recuse myself from reviewing them. But your books made the world better for a lot of people this year. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Sarah. I know what you do is hard. It is really fucking hard. But I am deeply (laughs) grateful and thankful that you write. So thank you. Thank you. I am Bree. And I am one half of the writing duo uh, behind Kit Rosha my, with my best friend Donna. We write post-apocalyptic, dystopian. Now we write post-dystopian romance, um, which is something okay, I just totally made up, fine. but I'm deciding it's a thing. So, cool. Um, and I have been thinking about this since you asked me because I have so many favorite books. And it is really uh, hard to pick a favorite yes. book, as I'm sure you can sympathize. Um, <laughs> but there is one book that I have talked about a lot this year. And it's not just a book I really like, but it's something that I think is important to erotic romance. It, it's a book that like really matters. It's important. Um, and it's Sheltered Ooh. by Charlotte Stein. I have not. Tell me all about have it. Have you read it? This book was originally published by Allura's Cave a few years ago, I believe. Um, and, you know, sometimes their prices were a little high and their covers were a little weird. So I think it didn't get the traction it deserved at the time, even though everybody <laughs> read were it a little high went and their covers crazy. It's like in the most diplomatic <laughs> things I've heard this week. But please do go on. I'm just going to laugh about that for a good 10 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. My timeline, my Twitter timeline for like three days was just people discovering this Uh, book from other people and then freaking out and reading it. And what makes it really special is that it is one of the sweetest, (laughs) but also dirtiest books most of us had read. But it's also a very innocent sort of dirty. Which, which sounds weird, right? But, you know, it was at a, it came out at a turning point, which a lot of us have discussed where, you know, and I'm sure you've noticed this, erotic romance has been sort of on this oh, arc yeah. toward extremes. You know, it used to be just anything that was really sexy writing, you would put in erotic and it got to the point where if it's not, you know, six people in a trampoline, and even then, maybe if they're not doing really, really big tricks on the trampoline, yeah, they're going to invent it an orifice so that it can be banged in multiple by multiple people. Yeah, I mean, and hey, I, I sort of, you know, our books. I do not make any 
bones about the fact that they are full of the occasional happy consensual kinky orgy. So, you know, but even my cheerfully kinky orgy books sometimes are called not erotic these days because the line is just like, (laughs) I don't even know where it is anymore. Um, so this book, it never really, I mean, I think you go most of the book before there is even anything beyond kissing and just like very mild touching, you know, but it is written from this deep, deep point of view. And it's written in a way where the character, the heroine is very sheltered, obviously. Um, and she finds all of it just stunningly erotic. It's all bad and naughty to her but also good and amazing and even something as simple as a kiss is overwhelming to her and it's written in such a deep point of view and with so much emotion that it becomes dirty even if you have read five thousand kisses That's these really kisses cool. seem really filthy it is it, it's one of those books that i hold up whenever somebody tells me you know you can't call something erotic romance unless it's got four people or unless it's got kink or unless this or that and they say no this book is one of the more erotic books that i have read and (laughs) a lot of it is just two people making out so it's not how extreme the sex is it's how much it makes the characters feel and because of that how this is such a great example of it it's why i think it's a really important book and i'm really glad that it exists Well, thank you. I thought it was pretty cool, too. Well, I mean, this whole episode is going to be so many different people talking about so many different books that um, everyone's going to be broke when this one comes out, as usual. Well, that's the best kind of broke, though. Book broke. Hello, Amanda. What book would you like to say thank you for? Well, I have two. I know Excellent. that's cheating, but <laughs> mine are really recent. And I picked these two books because they speak to me on a personal level, not just like, oh, these do great things for romance or, you know, I started reading them at a really young age, but a lot of things that I think are central to my identity um, these books addressed and I really enjoyed and made me feel, you know, a nice, a nice warm and fuzzy feeling of, of acceptance and understanding. Um, and recognition. Yes. So the first one is Asking For It by Lila Pace and Redheaded Girl and I did a joint review of it and content warning for those who are unfamiliar with the book. Um, it's about a woman who was raped at a young age but now that she is an adult she's a grad student um she finds that during sex she uses like rape fantasies to get off essentially and she has these feelings of being conflicted about that um so one thing that i liked is that you do see her going to therapy and seeing a mental health professional And a lot of times romance has aspects of trauma in a backstory and it makes me really sad that, you know, maybe like BDSM is a way to exercise that trauma or just 
brooding in some castle as a way to exercise that trauma. Um, <laughs> you mean brooding castle therapy? Is yeah. that a recommended technique for dealing yeah. with emotional pain? I mean, I can't yeah. afford brooding castle therapy. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I really liked that there were scenes that were included of the heroine going to her therapist's office and she does talk about her feelings of like, why do I feel like this? You know, I was raped. I should be disgusted by the thought of it, but this is what turns me on sexually. And the therapist pretty much told her like, rape fantasies are really common. You shouldn't feel bad about it. So I liked that uh, feeling of sexual expression and trying to find what works for you and also coming to realize that, hey, what you like is okay. There's no shame around it. And also, you know, the the seeing of a mental health professional. Um, so I really liked that because I, I contribute romance with helping me find what I like sexually and giving me the tools to communicate that to my partners, which I feel has been really invaluable in my sexual relationships. Um, so that, that was one. A good pick. So that one is on the list. And then the other one is also really recent that I reviewed for the site and is Dating You, Hating You by Christina Lauren. And what I liked about this book is I feel like so often we see women who have like a position of power or who are working on their career or workaholics. And maybe at the end of the book, they kind of sacrifice a little bit of that for the romance or for the hero. Or a lot of people hate the the baby epilogue where suddenly, like, she's pregnant. Um, so what I liked about this is the heroine Evie is super career driven and she makes no apologies for it. And you know, spoiler alert, she doesn't have to compromise that in the ending of the book. She doesn't have to work less or, you know, the hero and heroine are competing for the same job, essentially. She doesn't have to, or she she's never conflicted of, oh, well, I really like Carter. I guess I shouldn't go balls to the wall and trying to keep my job. Um so that's never a conflict for her, which I liked because she knows what she wants. She knows what she's good at. She knows she's more qualified than Carter. So she's not going to jeopardize that because she happens to like him. So I thought that it was really great. And, you know, in terms of relationships, I feel like you shouldn't have to, I don't know, have yourself to make yourself part of a whole, if that makes sense. You shouldn't have to sacrifice, you know, the things that you're passionate about or the things that make you who you are as a person in order to be complementary to your partner. I feel like you should just be who you are and have your own dreams and hopes and morals and find someone who complements those things. It doesn't have to be the same, but they they gel well together. Um and that her and, ambition is not a bad thing. No, not at all. And she's got a great group of girlfriends and work friends. And it was like a really wonderful modern contemporary romance where like I feel like I could see myself because I I find that I'm very work driven. Um and 
you know, Eric is really like, we were going to go see a movie tonight and I canceled to be like, can we do it tomorrow? I have a lot of deadlines today. And he's like, yeah, sure. No problem. So he's understanding of my work schedule. Um, and I just liked the book as well because it addresses, you know, sexism and misogyny in the workplace, like how a woman has to work twice as hard to get the same amount of recognition as mm-hmm. a man. So I liked how it kind of dealt with those issues, but with a really light touch. I didn't really feel it was too preachy um, or if it was like beating you over the head with social issues. Um, so I really liked that one. I wish it would be turned into a movie because um, we're missing rom-coms real bad. <laughs> it's true. So you would say thank you to Lila Pace and Christina Lauren. Yes. Big Big thank yous for those books because, you know, I read a lot of romance. We all do. And a lot of the times they're enjoyable and we like them, but we might not connect with the characters on a deeper level. And when um, that happens, it is so great. It is so great. Um, and you have that feeling of like, yes, this is me. Or I know exactly what this feels like. Yes. Um, so I really appreciate both of those or all three of those authors, <laughs> technically two, um, for kind of just letting me see myself and some of the things that I try to contend with on a daily basis, kind of in a book. It's really nice to see. Hello, Ms. Beverly Jenkins. How are you? I am lovely. Thank you. I would love to know if there is a book that you loved so much, and there can be more than one book, that you would like to say thank you to the author. I would like to thank Mr. And he's passed away now. Mr. Frank Herbert for writing Dune. Oh, that is a good one. It is. It is. Oh, my. What? The the first space opera. And I discovered it probably in the mid-70s, the scope and the depth and the multiple POVs and the world building. And I think the world building got me more than anything else. Um, And then you had, you know, it's it's sort of in many ways female-centered. You've got a marginalized group of, of of native folks, um, you got sandworms, and you got two love stories. So what could be better, right? Nothing could be better than that, especially the sandworms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we all wanted to learn to to, to put down the thumpers and, and call the sandworms <laughs> and, you know, ride across a raucous. <laughs> <laughs> so why does this book mean so much to you? I think because it... <clears throat> It, it showed me, and I didn't know it then, um, just the possibilities of how expansive a novel could be. I mean, it was exciting. I mean, I, I you know, I was a, a very avid reader up until that point, but I don't think I had ever read anything with that kind of draw me in for that long because it's a, a pretty, you know, good size. Uh, piece um and in looking back um i tend to 
sort of mentally, but not really consciously compare other fantasies, other world building to that. Um, Another uh, great book sort of that grabbed me like that is is N.K. Jemison's um, The Broken Earth Trilogy. Um, Same kind of world building, but on a different level. Just the awesomeness yep. of, of his writing and her writing. Um, just amazing. Just amazing. And it makes you want to be a better writer when you can, can read something that that grabs you the way um, those two authors. So so Frank Harbert and, and N.K. Jemison too. And these are the books that sort of made you go, wow, I didn't realize books could do that. You know, and, and with the N.K. Jemison on the first book, you know, and, and a lot of other people have said this too. I mean, you get 75% into that first book and she does something so amazing that you just sort of drop the book, your jaw drops, <laughs> the book drops and you go, whoa, <laughs> wow. Um, she's amazing. Herbert's amazing. She's amazing. Um. Yeah, those are that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Those two, that's those are good picks. Well, <laughs> thank you for doing this interview, and also thank you for your books. Your books have gotten a lot of people through some really tough times, and I know readers say that to you all the time. But I could not let you go without also saying thank you for what you write. Well, you know, I'm I'm very welcome, and and you know, and and you know, and I I don't know if I should thank myself, but. You know, Night, yeah, Song, I think- Night Song um, sort of changed my life, um, getting published and putting me in this great uh, romance community um, is something that I will, you know, be forever thankful for and grateful for. And, and the readers have just awesome, just awesome. Good morning, Rebecca Weatherspoon. Good morning, Sarah. Would you please tell me if there is a book that you loved so much that you would like to say thank you to the Absolutely. author? Absolutely. It's interesting because this particular author has been my favorite author in the last few years more than once. Um, last year, my favorite book was Heroin Complex by Sarah Kuhn, but the year before, it was uh, the Viking Wants Forever by Coco Brown. And this year, my favorite book I read was Her Silver Fox by Coco Brown. Her Silver Fox is a really cute, light romance about a black Jewish girl who falls for a silver fox businessman when he comes in to get a suit made by her and her family business. And I thought it just, it handled... What happens when two consenting, responsible adults decide that they want to have a sexual fling, but then unexpectedly fall for each other? And what happens when they're kind of trying to stick to their life plans instead of following their hearts? And it just felt so real and so light at the same time. And it was a, it was a nice kind of break and ray of sunshine in this kind of crappy year. Coco writes good stuff. That's excellent. Well, 
Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. And thank you for your book too. Thank you. Redheaded girl. Yes. Who is an author that you would like to say thank you to for which book and why? Um, my answer to this is always going to be Joanna Bourne. And I have told her this story and I made her blush and want to hide under the table. So, you know, winning. <laughs> <laughs> but The Spy Master's Lady is the book that brought me back to romance. And it is such a good book. And it's such a good book because I read the review of it on Smart Bitches low these many years ago. <laughs> and I read it and I was like, I do like this. I do like this genre. Fuck this whole real geeks don't read romance, real geeks read sci-fi fantasy thing. Yes. And nothing else. Fuck that shit. Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah, I agree. So that's that's my main answer. And that's a good main answer. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of brilliant things with language in that book. I know. And we've talked about it so many times. <laughs> why was that the book that brought you back to romance because it was was it because that was the moment where you were like oh this is really good and i'm really enjoying this yeah i think it was the right book at the right time that's lovely that it was just sort of serendipity and now there are so many more and now there are so many more <sighs> alicia alicia rye did you read you. one yet I, I have, I have, I liked it. I liked wrong to need you more than I liked, than I loved hate to want you. you. You liked the second one more than the first. Yeah. And I really, really liked the first one. <laughs> and the second one is better. I mean, he's a cook. What, what do you want from me? What do you expect from me? And he feeds her. And he feeds her. I am reading it now. I've been saving it and saving it and saving it. And I was like, all right, you can read it now. It's about to be stressful. Go start it. And I had to make myself put my Kindle like under my bedstand so I wouldn't wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I can read another chapter. This won't be a problem. <laughs> oh, no, I had to hide it so that if I went to go get it, I would like disturb an animal, knock something over. Like it was that tempting. Mm -hmm. It is so good. Yeah. It's really good. She is getting better and better as she write, as she continues to write. It's so true. So your thank you this year is Joanna Bourne yep. and Alicia Rye. Yes. These are good thank yous. I am Margaret H. Willison. I am one half of the Two Bossy Dames newsletter, one third of the Appointment Television podcast, a regular fourth chair on Pop Culture Happy Hour, and I like to describe myself as the winner of the imaginary reality TV show, America's Next Top Best Friend. <laughs> That's a great bio. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I well, appear on podcasts somewhat regularly and am accustomed to introducing myself. Yeah, I, I can understand that. <laughs> so I have a one question interview and I'm collecting all of these for Thanksgiving. So thank you for joining in the fun. Mm -hmm. I would like to know if there is an author that you would like to say thank you for a book that they wrote and which one and why. 
So this question is only hard because you're like, I get to tell one author, thank you for one book. What are you, what are you doing to me, Sarah, <laughs> to be so decisive? You need to do more than one. It's okay. No, no, no. I, I accept the brief and I am equal to the brief, Sarah. You're not going to, you can't trip me up this easily. Okay. Uh, well, I will say other people were like, I have two. And I'm like, that's fine. So, <laughs> uh, so the only way I could narrow this down in a way that like didn't break my heart is um, I have this tradition of writing at the front of my book where I was when I started it and what I was up to, and then writing at the end of the book where I was when I finished it and what I was up to and what the date was. Um, I got this habit from my brother. He did it while he was um, updating a travel guide for Harvard University in Scotland, Um, and now it's a habit. And one of the things I've started to do is when I reread books under particular circumstances, I'll make a note there as well. And my copy of Beauty by Robin McKinley has so many annotations at the front that it's basically like a family Bible of all (laughs) of my emotionally traumatic days. (laughs) (laughs) That is such a beautiful book. I love it so ferociously. It's just... Um, it's like so beautifully well-written and it's also at this point so familiar and so comforting. Um, but it does such a great job of really burrowing to the heart of like what makes that story, the story of Beauty and the Beast, uh, so enduring and, um, building and fleshing it out with such beautiful details and world building and, uh, such terrific characters that you can't help but be entranced by it. I really think that it's actually kind of a travesty that she doesn't have a writing credit on the uh, Beauty and the Beast Disney movie because so many of the best details in that movie are lifted straight from her story and I think native to that story. Like particularly um, like the big moment for Belle and the Beast in the Disney movie is when he like sweeps her into the library and she's like, oh my God, there are so many books. Well, that also happens in Beauty by Robin McKinley, only it's even cooler because the Enchanted Castle has all of literature from all of time, and it also has an unerring sense of what Belle will most enjoy. So although it's taking place in this sort of vague 17th, 18th century, uh, like she can read The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and she can read H.G. Wells and all sorts of other things that are fun, and she is, finds herself baffled by, like, the technology that they're describing and cars. But she finds that if she just sort of drifts in the story and, like, lets the enchanted castle do its work, that it creates the meaning for her uh, just if she just, like, lays back and cooperates with it, which is a really cool idea. So I would watch a movie of just that. Right? <laughs> Like a magical library automat just buffeting me the perfect book at the perfect time. I would watch a movie of just that technology for two and a half hours. No problem. I would love that immensely. Um, (laughs) And Beauty is just like such a perfectly developed character. Um, She's just has such a good voice. Um, and I love spending time with her. And I also love that Robin McKinley decided not to make her sister's uh, like vain and terrible. 
she makes them instead, you know, just as lovable as Beauty herself. And uh, a big part of the tension that Beauty feels about staying with the Beast is being far away from her family, whom she loves very dearly. And I think that that actually raises the stakes and um, points out the true heroism of the sacrifice that Beauty decides to make in the fairy tale to go back to this castle and save her father. Um, If the people who don't choose that are just abject villains, then it can kind of obscure the real depth of the bravery that you express. Whereas when they're just like good, lovable people who just have a husband and a child on the way or um, are just slightly more scared, you know, it makes the unusualness of the choice that beauty makes that much more remarkable. And also relatable. Yeah. I mean, not everyone rolls around with hardcore villains in their family, yes. though many of us have some. <laughs> you, you, you don't get unnuanced, very clear, mustache-twirling villainy. Usually yeah. it is a lot more nuanced. Life and, is very, very so like a Dickens novel. Exactly. And when you have a family relationship that does have that nuance, it makes the stakes much higher. Yes. I completely agree. I think you did a great job of expressing that, Sarah. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, and so although I could thank many, many, many authors for many, many, many books, I assume the other people who are contributing to this will cover at least one or two. And I just really had to thank Robin McKinley for writing this book that's gotten me through documented a lot of really hard times. I'm not sure which of you would like to go first, but please introduce yourselves and tell us which author you would like to say thank you to for which book and why. And feel free to name more than one. I'm not going to be super stickler about this. Okay. This is B, and I'll go first. Try not to sound too enthusiastic. Sorry. I'm just (laughs) trying to think of what I want to say. I told you to prepare. Oh, Sarah. I'm prepared. (laughs) I'm prepared. If you're so prepared, you go first. (laughs) No, you can go. Okay. I would like to thank Tessa Dare for The Duchess Deal, which helped me get out of a a reading slump I was in this year by reminding me what I love so much about historicals and for just being charming and funny as hell. That book is so lovely. I loved it. It was just like the happiest, warmest hug. I loved it too, and I don't even normally like historicals. I know. It, she's such a good freaking writer. And she's so modest about it too. Um, <laughs> and, and then on the other side of things, I would like to thank Alyssa Cole for An Extraordinary Union, which reminded me something else about historicals, which is that they can be different than the traditional Regency and still have all the elements I love and so many more elements. And I just want so many more books like that from her. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited by everything she's publishing this year. Just I'm, I can't wait for her contemporary from Avon, which oh, is, I've already read Leah's it. Leah's already read it. NBD. I like to wait for the books to come out. I, I generally, if I'm really waiting, if it's a really anticipated release, let's say. 
Also, if you don't follow Alyssa Cole on Instagram, you're really missing out on what is, in my opinion, the best. She leads the best life. She lives on Martinique with her super hot husband, and they have chickens and dogs and a cow. And she just posts pictures of their animals. The chickens aren't there. Well, they live next door. But, like, Alyssa takes care of them. Yes, we're very jealous of her. Yeah, her life just seems great. The opposite of our busy city life. Yeah. Okay, my turn? Yeah, go for it. Okay, this is Leah. And I would like to thank Alicia Rye for Wrong to Need You, uh, which comes out three or four days after Thanksgiving. But I've already read it because I'm a fancy person. Because... um, I read it after, right after we finished doing our diversity survey this year, and I felt extremely hopeless about this, that we would ever be a representative industry. And then I read this book, and it so effortlessly is a picture of the entire spectrum of humanity. And none of it feels shoehorned or weird or like, oh, they just dropped that in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so fantastic. And it's just the best. I, I have another, I have a non-romance one that I Wait, just remember. Oh, you have more? No. But <laughs> I wasn't done. I just remembered one. I don't want okay. to Okay. Well, I didn't, I just need to like finish. Okay, go. Um, the end. <laughs> Sometimes she is such a little sister. Okay. Um, I would also like, I think this book comes out right after Thanksgiving too. Um, It's not a romance. It's called, but I think it will be helpful for a lot of people. It's called The Dead Moms Club and it's by Kate Spencer. And I'm a member of The Dead Moms Club and I just found this book to be so amazing. It, It is so humorous and like warm in it, in the way it deals with it. It's really different than any book about grief or grieving that I've ever read. And I would so highly recommend it. Whoa. And I think for the, you know, the holidays are such a hard time for people who are members of the club. So go get this book. It's like if your best friend is talking to you about grieving, it's really nice. Oh, and it comes out on the 21st. So it'll be out by the time this is out. Perfect timing. Yes. You just take this book and go hide. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. Also, I want to say thank you to you guys for opening a store and showing what can be done with romance in a way that people I don't think expected. We're so happy to be here. I am so amazed. Every time you do something new, I think it's so cool. So thank you for doing what you do. I think that the genre is better because of what you're doing. Oh, that's so nice. You're so nice. Thank you. Thank you for giving me time on your day off to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, we're it's so our happy pleasure. Too. And Fitz is here too. Now, he says snuffle snort to everyone. Yes, hello. Snuffle snort. Yeah. Does he have any books to recommend? Fitz, do you have a book? Oh, to that's a good question. Well, Fitz has a a product to plug. Okay. Fitz is coming out with a calendar this Brilliant. year. Brilliant. Which will feature the covers. Of all 12 New York Times bestselling books that Fitzwilliam Waffles put out this year, if, in case you missed them. Oh, this is amazing. And they have back cover copy written by the wonderful Waffles. And they're blurbed by a lot of really... Some names you might recognize. He's got some impressive fans. Okay. And it goes on sale on, on Small, Small Business, Business Saturday. Saturday. In store and online. <laughs> 
it's really our like greatest work. Yeah, it's really quite. We're pretty proud of it. <laughs> Can you send me a link, please? Of course. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of what I hope will be an annual Thanksgiving podcast. I, of course, have to send out many thanks. But before I do, I want to invite you to tell me what author would you like to say thank you to and for what book and how come. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. You can record a voice memo and email it to me. Or you can leave us a voicemail. But however, I would love to hear from you. Now, I would like to say thank you to the following people. To Elise, Moose, Adam, Petra Mayer from NPR Books, Carrie, Alyssa Cole, Alicia Rye, Bree Bridges, Amanda, Beverly Jenkins, Rebecca Weatherspoon, Redheaded Girl, Margaret Willison, and Leah and B. Koch. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy pre-holiday week to talk to me about books, which I know is not a hardship, but I still appreciate it. I also have to be super indulgent because, well, it's my podcast. And I want to say thank you to Amanda, who is terrific and talented and does so much to keep the site in continuously marvelous. If you who are listening have clicked on a book or looked up something in our media archive, followed along with what we're all reading, or purchased a book on sale, or found a cool link on a random Wednesday, that was all Amanda. So thank you, Amanda. I want to thank Carrie and Elise and Redheaded Girl for making the site better every day. And I want to thank the team at Wax Creative for making the Hot Pink Palace looking so good and running so smoothly. And to the team of fast-running gerbils who keep our servers running, I hope someone is giving you lots of treats. I want to thank each and every one of our Patreon supporters who have made such a difference in the growth and the success of the podcast. I could not have done what I've done in the past year without you. I was terrified to set up a Patreon, completely terrified. And yet every time I receive an email that another person has made a pledge, I am so very grateful and excited. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being part of our Patreon. And of course, you. Thank you. To you. Yes, you. Uh, You are probably on the treadmill or perhaps the elliptical or lifting weights. Or maybe you're cleaning your house or walking your dog or dyeing wool or cooking all the things or eating all the leftovers, which is like totally my plan today. I am so happy that you spend time with me and all of our silliness over here. Thank you for being part of the podcast and thank you for being part of Smart Bitches. Today's podcast was brought to you by Dreamlands by Felicitas Ivy, the first of a book series found at DSP Publications. This is a series filled with danger and monsters and love, with heroes struggling towards their happily ever after. True love will win out, spoiler alert, after it goes through the ringer once or twice. You ready for plot summary? Here we go. This is This sounds really cool. The Trust and its battle-hardened recruits are fighting a horrific war, between the humans of this world and the demons of the dreamlands. In this shadowy battle, Kino Inuzaka is merely a pawn, first an innocent bystander imprisoned and abused by the trust, and then a captive of a demon Oni when taken to the dreamlands. But Oni Samujiro Aboshi treats the human with unexpected care and respect, and the demon only just earns Kino's trust when a team arrives to exploit the dreamlands magic. As war spreads across both worlds, Kino is torn between them. If he survives, he faces a decision. Go home, carve out a new life under the thumb and watchful eye of the trust, or stay in the dreamlands and find freedom in love. 
You can find out more about Dreamlands by Felicitas Ivy at DSP Publications. And of course, I will have a link to this book in the podcast show notes. Today's podcast transcript is sponsored by The Longest Fall by Anna Argent. It is book one in Argent's Whisper Lake series, available now on Audible, iTunes, and at AnnaArgent.com. If you love small town contemporary romances by Lori Foster and Susan Mallory, you will get caught up in the Whisper Lake series by Anna Argent. Daisy Grace fell in love with Mark, her best friend's brother, before she started wearing a bra, but Mark barely noticed that she was alive. He set his sights on Janie, older and far more glamorous than Daisy, and he was taken forever. But after Janie's tragic death, Daisy is forced to face the only man who has ever made her heart skip a beat and her stomach turn into knots. For almost two years, Mark's lived a solitary life punishing himself for what happened to his fiancée, and when Daisy arrives to convince him to attend his little sister's wedding, she shatters Mark's life of lonely grieving. He has no right to feel the things that Daisy makes him feel, but no matter how hard he tries, he cannot convince Daisy Grace to leave him alone. Daisy refuses to give up. If she can't lift Mark out of the dark recesses, the man she's been falling in love with forever will be too far gone to save. Are you tired of bad boys? Ready for a good man instead, perhaps? Welcome to Whisper Lake, where you won't find skyscrapers, subways, or five-star restaurants, but you will find honorable, hardworking men, kind, honest women, and families who stick together, no matter how messy or inconvenient life gets. Now stay tuned after the podcast for a special sneak peek of the audio version of The Longest Fall. It'll start right after the final end of the outro, which is what I am doing right now. You can find out more about this series at AnnaArgent.com. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find this album by the band Sketch on their album Shed Life. And this track is called Bulgarian Shed. This album has like three or four tracks that are named after sheds, which I find completely amusing, but I really like this song and I hope you're enjoying it too. Now, two more things. One, I am including both the books that were recommended by all of our guests and the most recent books written by all of our guests in the podcast show notes. So if you're looking for a book that was recommended or you're looking to find out more about the people who were appearing in the podcast and whether or not they have written books, you are so in luck. Head over smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. The show notes for this entry will have all of these books. Most importantly, thank you to Garlic Knitter for transcribing this mammoth episode with so many people in it. Each transcript that you guys enjoy is handcrafted by Garlic Knitter, and she does an incredible, incredible job. So thank you very much, Garlic Knitter, for being such an important part of the podcast. Two last things. One, I tell you a terrible joke, and then we get a special sneak peek of the audio version of The Longest Fall. So, are you ready? You ready, ready, ready? Here we go. Why did the skunk cross the road? Why did the skunk cross the road to get to the odor side? <laughs> you don't know how much I enjoy these. I have a really bad one for next week, too. I'm really excited. And now we have a sneak peek of The Longest Fall by Anna Argent. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast transcript, and thank you for listening each week. I hope you have a wonderful holiday weekend. I hope everything that you want to buy is on sale and easy to get to. And until next week, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend and happy Thanksgiving. 
Chapter 1 The old farmstead could not have screamed go away any louder, unless it had been seeded with landmines and draped with loops of razor wire. A low-grade spin of anxiety had been riding in Daisy Grace's stomach since she'd made the decision to come here. But now that she'd reached her destination, that spin had become a nauseating, nervous tornado in her gut. She gripped the steering wheel tighter, casting out all the voices that had warned her to leave well enough alone— those who told her that Mark Cooper had made up his mind, and there was no force on this earth powerful enough to change it. She hadn't seen him since the funeral. Her few mumbled words of condolence, shoved out a throat tight with tears, had been ignored. He'd brushed past her, his expression bleak. Even now, it was hard not to cry when she thought about Janie. And they'd only been friends. Daisy couldn't imagine how hard these last 18 months had been on Mark after losing his fiancée. The steering wheel became slick with nervous sweat. My brother is not the man you knew. He's changed, Ellen had told her. Stay away, for your own good. But... Ellen had been Daisy's best friend since kindergarten, and if she wanted her brother Mark to be there for her wedding, then Daisy was going to make it happen, no matter how much he'd changed. She did her best to avoid the muddy potholes dotting the long dirt driveway leading to the farmhouse. Spring rains had been hard, spaced perfectly between warm days, making hardy plants burst back to life. Tall weeds scraped along the undercarriage of her work van. Long-forgotten piles of fallen branches sat huddled inside nests of overgrown weeds, a perfect hiding place for snakes. Poison ivy curled around the base of a thick tree trunk that had once welcomed visitors with a shady path. Now, the rough landscape was a blatant dare to anyone who might be stupid enough to travel on foot. As she crept up the hill and around the bend, the house came into view. Once a pristine farmhouse, it was now a sad combination of peeling paint and rotting wood. Tarps covered the roof in an ugly blue patchwork. The porch sagged in several spots, and even from this distance, she could see a hole in the boards near the front door, one big enough to swallow her in one gulp there were doubtlessly more snakes lurking below. Revulsion crawled along her spine at the mere thought. Mark's battered pickup sat next to the porch, its tailgate open, its bed filled with chunks of fieldstone. Seeing proof that he was here, so close, made a rioting jumble of emotions scramble together in her gut. She feared that the warnings she'd heard were right, and that he was no longer the kind, easygoing man she'd grown up with. While she was hopeful that he'd listen to her and agree to show up for his sister's big day, mostly she ached to see him again and know he was okay, that he was healing from his loss. She was 26 now, and had been falling in love with him since before she'd started high school. The idea that he was hurting kept her up more nights than she was willing to admit. 
Daisy parked behind his truck, doing her best to block him in so he couldn't leave. He'd managed to escape every one of his family's attempts to bring him home. Hopefully, he wouldn't slam her van aside to get away from her, too. With one last deep breath to steady her nerves, she got out of her work van and waded through a sea of weeds and hidden stones barring the path to the porch. The ancient steps creaked beneath her feet. The boards near the hole groaned as she eased around it, and she swore she felt the entire wooden structure sway slightly to the left as she knocked on the door. There was no answer. She knocked again and waited a good three minutes before she heard a muffled thump and a low curse from inside the house. I know you're in there, she called. I can hear you. Another deep, furious curse echoed from inside. His voice was raspy, as if he hadn't spoken in a long time. Go away. I drove three hours to find you. I'm not leaving until I've said what I've come to say. Not interested. Even through the rotting front door, the rough voice still sounded too sexy for her peace of mind. It had taken her several long years to learn not to see him as a man, but as the fiancé of one of her best friends. Unavailable, off-limits, a eunuch. Janie was gone, but eventually he'd find someone else to love. Daisy wasn't about to let her guard down, fall for him, and go through the torture of seeing him fall in love with another woman again, no matter how sexy his voice was. She braced herself, called on her anger caused by his decision to skip his own sister's wedding, and raised her voice. You will listen, Mark Cooper, even if I have to break a window and crawl inside to make you listen. He was silent again, so she hopped off the porch, avoiding the gaping hole into snake territory, and started to look for a fist-sized rock. A few seconds later, the front door swung open so hard she could feel the gust of air the motion sent rushing past her. Make it quick, Daisy. He practically growled. A delightful shiver trailed along her skin at the sound of her name. It didn't matter that his tone wasn't one of welcome. All that mattered was the intimate combination of her name on his lips. She turned around to see him standing in the doorway. Shadows clung to his body, but even they couldn't hide how much he'd changed. He was leaner now, harder. His hair was a shaggy mess of tangled black strands. A thick growth of beard covered his once clean-shaven jaw. And his eyes, once a bright, sparkling blue, were now dull and empty, as if he'd been scraped clean of all joy. A desperate hollowness echoed out of him, so loud she felt herself tense against the force of that lonely thump. He hadn't gotten better since the funeral. He was much, much worse. Oh, Mark, she whispered before she could stop herself. The sound of concern in her voice made him freeze up and go still. If you're here to dump a load of pity on me, then leave now and save us both the trouble. I've had all of that I can stand. No pity. You, your new look just surprised me. That's all. He frowned as if he didn't understand what she meant. 
spit out whatever you've come here to say, Daisy. I'm a busy man. Busy with what? You quit your job. Your phone number now belongs to some guy named Bubba. You're clearly not fixing this place up like everyone thinks. Your mom says all you do is split wood and haul rocks around. You don't even own a TV. Is that why you're here? To interrogate me about how I spend my time? I'm here for Ellen. Worry creased his face, hiding pale rays in the tan skin around his eyes. He took a hurried step forward and gripped the frame of the door like he was trying to hold himself back. Is she okay? Did she get hurt? Sunlight crept up his jeans, revealing a thick layer of dust and several tears and worn spots. Along his left thigh were dark smears that looked suspiciously like dried blood. Daisy's heart clenched hard at the thought of him bleeding. He'd already been hurt so much. He didn't deserve any more pain in his life. If only he'd come home, his family and friends would be there for him. They'd help him heal and hold him close while he did. Ellen's fine, she said before he could conjure any disturbing thoughts. But she misses you. We all do. And her wedding is coming up soon. She'd like you to be there. She moved onto the porch, drawn to him in a way she was ashamed to even acknowledge. She tried to tell herself that she only meant to comfort him, but it was more than that. With Mark, it always had been, at least for her. He stepped back and she could feel his complete and total retreat, as if she'd repelled him. It's not going to happen. I already told Ellen that. She knows my reasons. I can't believe she'd send you here to beg. Hardly. She begged me not to come. I simply couldn't believe that you'd care so little about her that you'd ruin her big day. His body vibrated with restrained fury, and he looked like he'd suddenly grown larger. He stepped forward again, and this time, Daisy instinctively backed away from his palpable anger. The man she'd known would never have laid a hand on her. But Ellen was right. Mark was no longer the man she remembered. The heel of her tennis shoe hit an uneven patch in the porch's floorboards. Her toes slipped on the splintered wood. She felt herself start to fall back, and a squeak of panic lunged up her throat. Hot, rough hands grabbed her bare arms and hauled her forward into a warm, hard wall. She hit his chest but didn't bounce off. His hold was too tight. Dust puffed up off of Mark's clothes, choking her for a second. Or maybe that was his iron grip around her body that cut off her air. She could hear his heart hammering against his ribs and the sucking sound his lungs made as his breathing sped. You're okay, he said over and over as if trying to convince himself. You're okay. Of course I am. You almost fell like... Like Janie had fallen. The unsaid words hung between them, heavy with grief and loss. In that moment, Daisy cursed herself for her carelessness. The last thing she wanted was to shove reminders of Janie's death at him. Daisy tried to pull away, but his grip was too tight, almost frantic. The scent of sun-warmed man filled her nose and wrapped around her in a hold as solid as his arms. It seeped into her, 
whispering of forbidden fantasies she'd buried long ago. Her body warmed in response, softening, and leaving room for the rush of adrenaline to trickle out and a languid softness to take its place. I'm okay, Mark, really. You can let go now. I promise to be more careful. He didn't let her go. Instead, he lifted her feet from the rotting boards, hauled her back inside the dark house, and then kicked the door shut.